Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. Market View on Money FM 89.3. That's right, you're listening to Money FM 89.3. Time now for Market View, where we take a look at how the Singapore stock market is likely to close for the day, the biggest movers, sectors and companies to watch. But as always, a quick recap of how we started. Well, Singapore shares rose at the open this morning, despite overnight losses in global markets. In early trade, the STI was up 0.2% to 3,145 points after some 48 million securities changed chance and the broader market. Let's take you through the numbers right now. Closing numbers still firming up, but here's what I have on the screen. The STI up 0.12% at 3,142 points. In terms of value turnover, well, 2.03 billion sing dollars for today. Gainers outnumbered losers 282 versus 277. Top 5 movers by value, we've got here UOL, OCBC Bank, UOB, DBS and Sing. Heavily traded securities included Citrim, UOL and Gunting Singapore. In terms of companies to watch, we do have semiconductor equipment maker AEM. The firm reported net loss of $20.9 million for the six months ended December, reversing from a net profit seen in the year-ago period. The meanwhile, from Alibaba Group's slashing prices for cloud services by as much as 55%. To movements on the Malaysian ringgit, we've got more international headlines in focus today. Joining me on the line is David Chow, Director at Azure Capital. David, welcome. Hi, Tian. Hi, everyone. Hey, and David, let's start with the Singapore stock market as usual. How did the STI fare today given that value turnover and any surprises when it comes to the biggest movers, say, uh, sets after posting a 41.9% quarterly rise in net profit? Well, what we are seeing here are you know, more positive market actions uh, thanks to a rebound in the China market. Uh, so in our opinion, I mean, uh, for the China market, it will take a rise above, you know, 3,030, you know, for the Shanghai market, you know, which is, I think, end of the day around 2,990 now to really catalyze the upside. I think nonetheless, it's a good sign that the rally since early February will continue. Um, however, despite that, you know, SPI wasn't able to, uh, you know, end it, to end the day much higher or uh, instead, you know, to end the day on a flat note. Yeah. With, uh, Stats, I would be surprised if they, you know, have had a bad quarter, given that we are talking about the quarter, which yeah, is uh, typical, you know, peak traveling period. Yeah. Yeah. And for the travel and, you know, aviation data, we have been tracking, you know, um, what we are seeing is that, you know, global passenger air traffic demand, you know, already reached, you know, 99%, you know, of the November 19 level, you know, as of November last year. You know, as such, uh, such, you know, ground handling and aviation food sub-segments uh, should see revenue growth. You know, when we look at this operating data, you know, on stronger citizen travel. And a few months ago, you know, we were also expecting higher, you know, two-on-two contributions uh, from their associates and joint ventures in countries like China, Japan, mm-hmm. and Malaysia. And with this set of results, you know, we could clearly see what we had anticipated, you know, playing out. Right. And let's zoom in on uh, Semicon equipment maker AEM, David. You call it the focus for today where the XJX is concerned. So let's take a look at that. The firm reported mm-hmm. a net loss of $20.9 million for the six months ended December, reversing from a net profit of $44 million seen in the year-ago period. What's happening here? Mm-hmm. I guess, uh, I mean, if you look 
you know, beyond six months to the full year results uh, for FY23. I mean, it's reported revenue of uh, about 580 million, which is still, you know, 45% down year on year. It's still in line with uh, our expectations and, you know, some of the expectations that the South side has, you know, and, uh, you know, furthermore, you know, uh, FY23's net loss of about 1 million is slightly better than, you know, our estimated, you know, uh, 5 to 7 million net loss. So on that note, both the top line and the bottom line still seems okay and with expectations, you know, but, uh, a bit but here. Um, this morning, I think they actually told the market that they are revising their market, uh, their revenue guidance, you yeah. know, down to around, you know, 170 to 200 million. And uh, for this, this is really way below our expectations of around, you know, 450 million revenue for this year. Um, and they did not release, you know, full year's guidance, uh, you know, due, I guess due to the timing uncertainties for new product ramp ups you know, from multiple customers and all these uncertainties are not going to bow well for the stocks as, you know, what, what, as we have seen, you know, what happened to the stocks today. And, you know, to be fair, we could see, uh, you know, investors, you know, piling onto other local tech stocks, you know, like, you know, UMS and Franklin mm. of late, you know, as, and, as the share prices of these two are doing well. I mean, even though UMS fell to 6% today on guidance of near-term revenue softness. But, you know, uh, overall, our, we are still holding a positive, you know, buy thesis, you know, as you know, new customers could increase their contributions and, and earnings quality. So, you know, back to uh, AEM, I guess we would have to wait for more guidance for management going forward. Hmm. And I do want to take a look at ST Engineering as well, David. Net profit for second half ended December up 19.9% to uh, $305.9 million. Now, this is attributed to uh, strong business growth, higher productivity and cost savings. Now, two things. How would you read into yeah. ST Engineering's performance? And also looking mm-hmm. at all the big names that have reported so far, okay. how would you rate the slew of Lisco earnings? Okay, on ST Engineering, first, I think, I guess to read a performance, you know, we could definitely briefly, you know, talk about each of the segments. I mean, when it comes to the commercial aerospace, you know, we can see that the uh, underlying demand remains strong and, you know, management suggests that, you know, investors shouldn't read too much into, you know, half on half, you know, margin fluctuation, which was, you know, mainly due to project mix at timing and the uh, company's proactive investments in new capabilities and capacities. So what we are seeing here is that this statements you know, margins should be poised to improve moving forward, you know, as we see revenue ramp up, you know, back by increasing project deliveries and you know, maturing of P2F, P2F programs. And, you know, for their segment on you know, urban solutions, uh, we have seen, you know, Transcore turning uh, earnings accretive for full year 2023, again driven by project deliveries in the second half of last year. This also sets a good foundation for this year's performance. And then uh, we also have, you know, your defense and public security. I guess uh, if we look at it, last year was a very satisfactory year, you know, with upbeat contract win momentum uh, coming from the international markets. So uh, with this, uh, we expect, you know, uh, ST Engineering to continue to aim at, you know, double-digit EBIT margin going forward, you know, backed by project deliveries and cost discipline. So as such, um, mm. you know, we see revenue against underpinned by strong order books with margins likely to be steady or show gradual improvement going forward. So I guess uh, with this being said, you know, we are positive of ST engineering going forward. 
And um, for your question on the uh, how I will rate the current reporting season so far for companies which have reported. So if I were to rate it on a scale of uh, 1 to 10, you know, mm-hmm. with them being ex- excellent, I would actually yeah. give a score of uh, 6 to 7 mm-hmm. based on the fact that you know, most companies that we have managed to spend time you know, to pour over their results yeah. have not been disappointing you know, relative to our expectations. And there's also a certain margin resilient to their businesses, uh, even as higher interest costs last year have you know, somewhat dented you know, the net profits for some of them. If you're just tuning in, we're now in conversation with David Chow, Director at Azure Capital. And uh, David, let's take a look at what's happening in Malaysia. It's Finance mm-hmm. Ministry today dismissed adjusting monetary policy or pegging the ringgit to support the weakened currency, saying that it expects the ringgit's value to appreciate this year. The reasoning here is that the ringgit's weakening was largely due to external factors like the strength in the USD, economic uncertainty in China, and does not reflect... Malaysia's uh, positive economic fundamentals and prospects, so to speak. So your outlook on the currency against USD and the SGD? I guess, uh, you know, with the central bank governor, you know, coming out to talk about the uh, strength of the ringgit, you know, some of the investors, you know, could be, uh, you know, attributing solely attributing it to some, you know, verbal intervention, just like, you know, what the BOJ has done for the past year. But I, I would say that, you know, to a certain extent, you know, if I look at some of the, uh, you know, economic figures, from the from Malaysia, I think um, certainly uh, it doesn't look the weakness. Current weakness doesn't look, you know, at uh, justified at all. Mm. Well, uh, you know, for a fact, you know, Malaysia has consistently reported trade surpluses and stable reserves, which are the prerequisites for a strong currency. And if I look at the Bank of Nagara's international reserve, it actually amounted to around, uh, you know, US 112 billion as of November last year. Which is you know sufficient to finance you know around five point four five point four months of import of goods and services, and uh, its international reserve also continues to meet the international standards set by the IMF, and uh, this is only one part of the economic stories. But I would say uh, you know fundamentally Malaysia still looks okay, but external factors doesn't. Don't really, you know, uh, you know, look too good, you know, yeah. uh, when you know the ringgit is being, um, you know, put against the U.S. dollar. And if you look at the Asia dollar index, which measures U.S. dollars against a basket of Asian currencies, mm-hmm. it's still, um, you know, at a relatively high levels, uh, at around 91. Even though it's off its recent high, recorded in 2021 at a level of around 100 and 103, it's still mm-hmm. down about 10 percent or so. So. For the ringgit to strengthen, a few things will need to happen. You know, first, the Fed, of course, will need to cut you know, more and perhaps earlier than expected. And secondly, you know, China's stabilization has to translate to sharper economic recovery, which you could possibly mm. lead to you know, inflow of funds yeah. to China and the region. So third, you know, the global growth momentum will have to pick up further, mm-hmm. you know, benefiting your know, Malaysian exports and growth. So if all these factors could play out in a blue sky scenario, yeah. I would say there's a chance that the ringgit may strengthen against trade against its trading partners. Mm. And across the region, David, let's take a look at Alibaba Group Holdings. It is rolling out its second major price cut for cloud services in years to win back users from rivals like Tencent competing to provide tools critical to training AI. Now, starting today, Alibaba will slash prices by as much as 55% and 20% on average. How would you read into this? What implications will this have mm. on the counter, though? Okay, uh, only the second major price cut in years. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, this is not the start of a sustained, you know, price war. You know, yeah. uh, similar to the EVs in China, which led which leads to uh, you know, margin erosion. You know, up yeah, to now. Yeah. So uh, anyway, this move, I, I would say, 
it's not a surprise move at all. Mm. If any, the management has already indicated and reiterated their intention to grow top line while fighting to take back market shares in their last few uh, results update. You know, not only for their cloud business, but also for their Taobao Mall AIDC uh, segment as well. So as with that, you know, Taobao Tmall will man- try to maintain its price comp- competitive strategy to drive your gross uh, merchandise value. And you know, your cost, their cross-border AliExpress choice will also be the key investment focus at AIDC. So um, you know, for this uh, intention, you know, to you know. For price cutting, we have actually do a, a simple modeling. Uh, we have actually modeled a rise in revenue, but decrease our forecast of the EBITDA margins. As a result, we see net profit growth could still see about only a slight two percent growth this year. But I mean, to existing shareholders, uh, I mean, all that is not lost yet. Even though with a two percent, you know, net profit growth, if this materializes, I mean, the company has you know increased the share buyback program, and you know, adding an annual dividend of a US dollar one. One dollar per share, so this will yield about you know four point four percent total return, and which is you know, comparable to a ten-year U.S. Treasuries. So um, I mean management, I mean company's balance sheet is still solid, and cash free cash flow generation is still there. You no, know? so hopefully, uh, with all that being said, uh, we could see the company making more pro more pro growth investments, which, which will grow its revenue further in the years ahead. Right, and uh, David, it's about 5.30 right now and you know I'm craving an onigiri, iced coffee and uh, cup noodles. We are talking about this company that doesn't always pop up, which is 7&I Holdings behind 7-Elevens in Japan, the fancy ones. Now, it is betting on having bigger stores with more variety of goods. In fact, a new store that it unveiled in Chiba Prefecture will have more than Mm. twice the number of products, almost double the size of regular 7-Elevens. Do you think this model will work for 7&I given the current economic environment we are seeing both in Japan and around the world? Okay, uh, I think uh, if you ask me, you know, 7-Eleven is moving with the time it yeah. a bit, uh, to improve user experience, either with technology or just simply innovation without too much of technology. So in 2020, I remember they set up some uh, lab stores for customers to try the retailers, you know, latest products offering and then slowly on, they move on to unmanned stores in areas such as uh, I think Tokyo. So um, I think Economic climate-wise, I would say it's still conducive for companies like 7-Eleven and this parent because yeah. we're not talking about you know luxury items, but you know simple items you find in convenience stores. So while you know Japan's nominal wage growth is still behind you know inflation, the economy is still okay, like churning along. Yeah. And we are talking about you know the economy. Uh, unfortunately, not the stock market, which we know has been outperforming yeah. many markets last year. In we have a good start year to date. So at the end of the day, I think um, as long as you know a convenience store stays true to its purpose of offering convenience services to to consumers it should do well. I mean of course if we in the con- convenience store there are more items up for selection it w- should be a plus to uh, end consumers as well. David Chow, Director at Azure Capital thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation and risk tolerance.